this one okay this is actually uh one of the last episodes uh what are the last episodes there are many last episodes and most of them are really lost they're just things that i have recorded over the years that for one reason or another i did not make it to the air uh air that's even an outdated term the uh podcast <laughs> anyway um yeah, a lot of them are just episodes that were redone. Uh, some of them I just thought better of. I can't even remember all of them, but there's literally hours. However, this one was a truly lost episode. Uh, so the best way I can explain it without getting into outside issues is sometimes I do things that I don't remember. And a short time ago, I was going through files on my phone, I think organizing them, maybe getting rid of some unneeded ones, and uh, I came across these files labeled G-Time. I had no clue what they were, uh, so I started playing them, and it's a podcast that I don't remember making. I uh, read from an essay that I do not remember writing the date on the recordings, uh, which were in several parts, but but equaled one podcast uh, was uh, April twenty first, two thousand eighteen. Uh, so that's how old this recording is. It is a full podcast with an intro. Uh, however, because uh, I'm labeling this the last episodes and then the title, uh, thought we'd we'd uh, explain that a little right here. Also, if anybody noticed, maybe I'm the only one that's thinking about this, but uh, in a previous episode i had talked about the music and said we're going to use the the intro that i just used only for the swan satire stuff i kind of changed my mind uh i do like the new intro that we're using for the regular podcast for lack of a better term but uh it just seemed really arrogant the whole are you ready for autonomous unity autonomous unity begins now the, the music actually i thought was cool i liked but it just I got my character defects and I feel like I was acting on it. That doesn't mean I'll never use it again. Uh, maybe one day I'll be feeling particularly arrogant and <laughs> use that intro again. Uh, maybe I'll realize it wasn't arrogant. Who knows? But for this particular podcast, uh, the music, the bumper music I just used just felt more appropriate. Now, the last reason I needed to re record this additional intro is because back in 2018, uh, there was a disclaimer that did not exist that needs to exist now. So if you were listening to this on a podcasting platform and you see a pop-up ad, that has nothing to do with this podcast. Uh, most of you are probably more tech-savvy than me, but the way podcasts work is once these are out on any podcasting platform, anyone who picks up the RSS feed can use the podcast, put it on their platform. This podcast literally plays on platforms uh, that we did not try to uh, get access to or, or request to be on. 
this podcast is actually 100% not money making. That doesn't mean just not for profit. It means we do not collect any money from any source whatsoever. Any costs associated with making the podcast, maintaining the website, any of that just comes out of pocket. And that's not a, hey, look at me. Uh, that's just, I want to be clear that uh, there's every effort being made to be in compliance with the traditions. Best way to put this is it's kind of like your TV. You got your regular channels. Uh, you get served up advertising on those uh, in addition to your small monthly bill if, if it's coming through cable and not over the air, which I don't even think they do anymore. Uh, and you have your premium channels. So if you're not listening on premium, you're probably being served up some ads on these podcasting platforms because nothing's ever really free. Again, that's how you pay for <laughs> your listenership. It's not how uh, we make any money here because we don't. Uh, there is a whole podcast on it. I believe it's episode 85. I make a pathetic attempt to explain all of this. Uh, we're going to leave it at that because uh, it's really convoluted the way all this stuff works. If you do want to listen to this ad-free without any pop-ups or anything of that sort, uh, just go to swampodcast.com. Uh, there's a link there that it'll be labeled either archives or Google Drive or something like that. Make sure it's not the Google podcasting platform because they have one too uh it's google drive uh and that's not an endorsement of google uh that's just where you can listen without ads being served up uh and if you, again if you want things 100 percent free make sure that you have uh all the things turned off that let them track you because that's the way that particular company uh makes money without serving you up advertising is to collect your data and and sell it um Again, that has nothing to do with us. This is just the way the world is working right now uh, in this technology uh, economy or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about that because I don't deal in economics, especially with this podcast here. Uh, so that being said, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is the last episode. I will say this, even though I've labeled this the last episodes and there are hours upon hours of unpublished uh, recordings. I don't know that I will ever put another last episode out. Uh, just the last episodes sound better than the last episode, maybe because it's just more honest and there is more than one episode that has not been published. Uh, so uh, this is episode 86, uh, not uh, chronologically the way it was recorded, but the way it's being published anyway. Uh, it is the last episodes. Uh, in God's time where footwork meets surrender. Hope you enjoy it or get something out of it. But if uh, none of that is true, hey, thanks for stopping by anyway. Welcome to Autonomous Unity on the Solidarity with Autonomy Network, the SWAN. The title of this podcast is In God's Time, Where Footwork Meets Surrender. Really quickly, if you are not a member of Narcotics Anonymous, we respectfully request that you tune out at this time. This is not meant to upset or offend anybody. This is simply in keeping with our traditions and so that uh, our own internal uh, discussions, debates, and sometimes controversies do not become public fodder. Uh, if you're not sure if you're a member of NA, if you have a desire to stop using and would like to be a member of Narcotics Anonymous, you are a member when you decide you are, provided you have a desire to stop using. 
As said, I would also add if you're new to NA, uh, we're dealing with the history here. We're dealing with some things that uh, in the past have been political. Uh, I don't believe this particular podcast is political at all, this particular episode in any regard whatsoever. However, there are parts of our history that uh, I learned early on firsthand. Uh, Maybe it's better to have some step work under your belt. No organization is perfect, and we're not even an organization. We're a fellowship. Uh, Unorganized fellowships are damn sure not perfect, Uh, although when we apply the uh, second tradition, we can get pretty close. Uh, So that said, if you are even new to Narcotics Anonymous, you may want to have a talk with your sponsor uh, before delving into this. Uh, If you just want to hear one of our podcasts, go check out episode two. Uh, That one deals with none of our history. It's all about recovery. In fact, I believe that's the name of the, the episode is all about recovery. I can't tell you what to do. If you want to listen, I have no desire to tell you what to do. Just just a little bit of uh, experience, strength, and hope from somebody who uh, did his own research early on and, and uh, became very angry initially and and maybe rang some bells I couldn't unring. And ultimately, I'm glad uh, that they can't be unrung. But uh, there was a lot of surrender necessary on my part before I could actively participate in... Uh, trying to do what it is we do as traditionalists let's put it that way so all that said i'm glad to have you with us today strap on the headphones turn up the speakers whatever it is you do turn down the speakers if if that's what you do get in your meditative state or your boisterous state wherever you're more comfortable and hopefully enjoy the podcast i've actually already recorded it and uh so I'm kind of doing things bass backwards, how addicts tend to do, and recording the intro on the back end. So that being said, we'll catch you at the end. And thank you once again, one and all, for being with us, being part of us. Uh, whether you consider yourself a traditionalist, a conceptualist, think we're right, think I'm a wingnut, and, and listen to me just for the entertainment of, of hearing that lunatic Chubbs rant. Hey, we're glad to have you here either way, and in the end, it's all love. I got love for all my N.A. brothers and sisters, regardless of which side of things you come down on in those instances when we just can't agree. So let's get to it, shall we? In God's time, where footwork meets surrender. Regardless of if you believe God to be a literal and personal deity, a vague force, the interconnectedness of the universe, the pure and undefiled self within, or simply the power of N.A. unity, one thing is certain. The God of recovery may do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, but never forces us to do his, her, or its will. God presents us with tools and choices, often choices we never had in active addiction. As addicts, we are people of extremes. Take it or leave it, all or nothing. When dealing with the malady of a sick, bloated, abusive service structure, we tend to do one of two things. Completely surrender, and not the good kind, or go to war. Going to war can take many forms. Often it is criticizing the corporate structure relentlessly and even aggressively. It can also involve the futile effort of trying to change the structure from within. 
always resulting in losing the battle time after time, somehow hoping we will one day miraculously defeat an entity who fields a team, writes and rewrites the rules often mid-game, and provides the playing field, scorekeeper, time clock, and referee. Even when we go outside the system creating something new, purists and traditionalists often romanticize the good old days and seek to return to a time just before it all went off the rails, failing to recognize the mistakes of the past and dooming ourselves to repeat them. We seek to return to failed committee structures. We forget that in the zeal of a fellowship writing a basic text, we became focused on the committees rather than the home groups who directed the fellowship and writing of said literature. Until recently, when the story of how the NA basic text was written was told, no one ever heard the phrase open participation. I remember listening to old speaker tapes on NA history and hearing even Greg P. talk about how we wrote a book by committee, focusing on the proverbial castle rather than the foundation of open participation and group conscience upon which the first literature committees were built. So aware were the original writers of the fact that group conscience only happens at the group level that in the original manuscript of our basic text they spoke of a group conscious book as in the writing being conscious of the will of the groups. In his book, A Matter of Principle, the late Jim M., who served on these committees, expressed that although during writing sessions the participants of the literature committee often spoke of group conscience, that they were keenly aware of the fact that only the groups truly possessed such a thing, which is why the committee had to be open and all material sent directly back to the groups for input and review. It was not until the first edition went to press that the that group conscious was actually changed to group conscience, just one of a multitude of unauthorized changes to our book over the years. Whether this was an intentional redefinition of group conscience or simply a correction by someone who assumed the term group conscious to be a misprint remains a mystery. The result is the same either way. There were many seemingly small things we got wrong back in the day that had a big effect on NA philosophy moving forward, some would argue moving backward. In the name of efficiency and as a result of political maneuvering, we selected which parts of the service structure of our predecessors in another fellowship we would use. We opted to make select individuals and even non-addicts the trustees and guardians of our traditions rather than placing that responsibility on the groups where it belongs. We kept the idea of trustees in the guise of being a check and balance against the board of directors, giving a single individual a vote equal to that of an entire region or state. We then rejected the idea of group tally when approving literature for fear that the numerous California groups, many of whom still viewed the AA Big Book as our basic text, would block any new literature. If we could dilute a geographical concentration of groups by limiting literature approval to regional votes rather than trusting the groups to find their conscience, we could be assured of getting an approved basic text in our time. By the time it came up for a vote, many people had changed their thinking and the fear was likely unfounded, yet the precedent was set and the damage was done. The point is this, the good old days aren't always as good as they used to be. We romanticized a time when motives were more pure and we fought the good fight. Yet the battle was still lost. And it was lost due to our own mistakes as we implemented a service structure. 
Don't get me wrong here. There is nothing wrong with mistakes and they are in fact inevitable. But we must learn from them. Simply turning back the clock to a time when we are fighting against the hostile takeover of an entire fellowship is not a viable answer. We must recognize that the problems and we must recognize the problems and mistakes of the past. It was our own lack of surrender and patience with the will of God being expressed at the group level which created the vulnerabilities that made the corporatization of NA possible in the first place. All this said, when we learn the true, untold, yet very accessible history of NA, it is natural to want to mount up and go to war. We put the cart before the horse and immediately start forming committees, often based on old models that, while superior to the current NAS structure, failed to prevent the hostile takeover of first our services, then our literature, and eventually the entire fellowship or the actual groups themselves. I know this firsthand because I am guilty, for lack of, of a better term, of just that. In an effort to slay the dragon, we forget the mistakes that laid the dragon egg in the first place as we set out on a quest to impose our will upon the fellowship and free the land of Nas tyranny. More often than not, this occurs without consulting a single home group, let alone being directed to do so by such. It is not entirely uncommon to see addicts of great charisma set up entire structures and motivate hundreds or even thousands by simply telling the truth, while at the same time saying they cannot start a traditionalist home group because they can't find a single addict who supports the idea in the immediate vicinity. It all begs the question, how can we build a structure that puts the power back in the hands of the groups if the groups are not directing the effort to do so? Do we really believe we can build service structures without group conscience and that somehow we will turn over power to them once we have it perfect? Of course, that perfection never comes. And if not directed by the groups, whose definition of perfect do we go on? Even if such a war against the current beast were to be won, we are back to square one. Without the groups in charge, trusted servants being given far too much trust to run things, and the faulty assumption that says that kind of power can't corrupt me. Just as in the not-so-good old days when we had to have trusted servants who could see a broader picture voted WSC just until more of the fellowship shows up, the power we unintentionally usurp from the groups will never be given back. Those servants of the original WSC never quit voting even when so many regions showed up that larger venues were needed. The insanity of this notion should be more than self-evident. We actually bought the idea that lacking enough groups bringing their conscience to a conference floor in an optional service structure, I might add, that it was better to substitute the self-will of world-level trusted servants rather than allowing these groups the option to not participate. Basically, if you don't validate the WSC with participation, we will self-validate our grand endeavor. It sounds crazy, I know. But how are the crusades we embark upon today to create services without groups driving them or delegating authority when groups do participate by continuing to use concepts that directly contradicts our traditions any different? Are we not still running on self-will? Now, I do not sit in judgment of these misguided endeavors. This is every bit as much a tenth step in self-examination as anything. It was only four or five years ago I myself was creating committees to do for the groups what I thought they could not do for themselves. Which brings me to the other thing I have been guilty of. Lack of footwork. 
also known as apathy in the guise of surrender. This initially started with good intentions and even came from a place of spirituality. When I first researched the baby blue and began scratching the surface of Nas' atrocity as a newcomer, I became very angry and ready for the aforementioned war. Before I could even talk to anyone about it, I could hear in my mind what my first sponsor would say as he lovingly laughed and instructed me to let those who had a solid foundation of recovery, who had done some step work, take care of such things. Neither he nor my sponsor at the time had to tell me this because I knew it is what I would be told regardless of whom I took this issue to. And at the time it was correct. It was the spiritual thing to do. How can I right the wrongs done in an entire fellowship when I'm not even right with myself? No, I would be too vulnerable to relapse without the benefit of all 12 steps. Yet, in later years, this spiritual principle had become a convenient excuse. At 16 years clean, my attitude quite literally was, it's not for me to handle. I'm too busy pursuing my poker career. That would mean I'd have to leave my chair in this casino and do work for free rather than playing a game for money. I really believed this and further thought there was actually some crusty group of old timers with multiple decades clean sitting in some room diligently battling Nas and that they would one day overcome the evils done us on behalf of an entire fellowship. I also had no clue that the vast majority of the NA fellowship had next to no understanding of or real interest in the traditions to a degree myself included. I didn't have to do any footwork because God would take care of it in God's time. It was at this point I had a rude awakening. I had actually moved to the Vegas area as part of an 11th step. I knew that this was where the God of my understanding wanted my wife and I to be, as did she. I assumed it was so that I could pursue my poker career full-time rather than supplementing my income in underground Utah home games. But I was only doing part of the 11th step. I went where I knew my higher power wanted me, but I had failed to ask why, for what purpose. I focused on the where, but not the what. Not thy will be done, but my will be done. Imagine my shock when I realized I was not in Nevada just to play poker, but that this power greater than myself did not want me playing poker at all. This wasn't a moral issue with poker or casinos. My God did not want me working for a living at all at this particular time. It was not, a, it, excuse me, it was about getting out of my comfort zone enough to actually do something different and being in a community, Pahrump, just outside of Vegas, where the cost of living was low enough that I could make ends meet while simply trusting God to provide the means. There were also people I needed to be impromptu to meet as far as my personal journey and recovery go, but that's a different story. With my focus now on the work of my higher power, excuse me, with my focus now on the work my higher power would have me do, if it's not obvious, I'm reading an essay that I wrote. <laughs> with my focus now on the work my higher power would have me do, I set about speaking to addicts who lived our history, none of whom actually lived in Nevada, and learning the traditions, and even praying and discerning from among the various opinions that these older members had. When the foundation was properly laid, God had me go back to work again, just not in my desired profession. After making and learning from many missteps and mistakes along the way, 
I have finally come to understand that God does not do anything for us in God's time. God gives us the tools to make changes we need. God's time quite literally correlates with our willingness and surrender. When I lay back and do nothing, expecting God to do it in God's time, nothing changes. God is supremely patient with me and will allow me to get it wrong as long as I choose to do so. When I charge in and run on my own will, I actually become a hindrance to God's time. How can I do the will of a loving higher power when I don't even ask what that is? In my personal recovery, I was taught early on a very simple tool. If it makes me head run, it's my will. If it makes me feel at peace, it's God's. But that's my own personal recovery. What about the NA Fellowship? That took me a bit longer to learn, but it was just as simple. God's will is expressed at the group level. I can't do God's will for the fellowship if the directive doesn't come from the NA groups. But how to know the difference between group conscience and group opinion? One night while talking on the balcony at the fellowship service conference to a man I only get to see about once a year and whom I greatly admire and respect, he taught me another simple truth. Group conscience is a collective 11th step. I have been odd these past several years when it comes to group conscience that when the individuals of the group apply the principles of step 11, we seem to come to the same conclusions. It has been years since we had to take a vote on anything. Sometimes we make mistakes along the way or rush things, but it always turns out in the end we are moving in the right direction. The traditionalist road has been long and slow, yet in a few short years we have accomplished more than I thought I would ever see in my lifetime. God's time is not slow of necessity. It is we or who are slow to be the tools needed for God's will to take form, as we must be the vessel of God's will for us. God's will for us mandates we be actively involved, otherwise what's the point? God patiently waits as the pendulum swings from initial surrender and even lack of action to lack of surrender and self-willed action. On one hand, we are passively stagnating through inaction, and on the other, we are actively impeding God's will from taking place via self-willed run riot. God's time cannot be rushed, yet it need not be slow. God's time happens when footwork meets surrender. You have been listening to Autonomous Unity on the Solidarity with Economy Network, the Swan.